Hello, and welcome to Humans and Magic, the show that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 82 with David Rood. David is from Montreal, Quebec, and is one of the more accomplished Canadian pro players in Magic's history. He is known for his mastery of the limited format. David has excelled at team events with one Pro Tour win, one second place Pro Tour finish, and one Masters second place finish. He won the Pro Tour in 2005 with Gabriel Nassif and Gabe Sang. For a number of years, David left Magic to pursue the poker grind. He currently works as the TCG's manager for Harry Tarantula in Toronto, Canada. David has some great stories, and it's always a pleasure to talk to a fellow Canadian. I also want to give a special shout out to John Stern and Gabe Sang for being generous with their time and sharing the impact that David's had on them and the community. So, without further ado, this is Humans of Magic with David Rood. Hello, David. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. How's uh, life been for you recently? Life's been pretty interesting. Like, um, I, like I, I work in an LGS. I manage a big LGS here in Canada. And like we're kind of coming off the, like things are reopening. The pandemic is kind of, at least in Canada, it's kind of getting better and we're starting events again. So there's a lot of planning, a lot of, a lot of work stuff going on right now. Can you tell me a bit about your LGS? Like where, where are you guys based and, and all that stuff? Yeah. So um, I've, we're in Toronto. Uh, the, it's called Harry Tarantula, Harry T. Uh, it's been around for almost 30 years now. The, the store has been the mainstay of Toronto. It's, it's moved around, um, but it's the same owner. And uh, yeah, we're in North York in Toronto. And um, I've been working there for maybe four years or something like that on and off. I took a, a little break. I worked from home for a while, but yeah and we're, we're we're growing i'm i'm pretty excited about like a lot of things that are going that's going on with the store and i'm I'm pretty happy with the the team we have there and, and the people that i work with so i'm happy in general I'm, I'm enjoying it that sounds like a good atmosphere and you said the store is kind of opening up so players are coming back into the store and obviously you guys are taking precautions but it, things are hopefully getting more back to normal right yeah we're running events with with masks with separating people and trying to be we've been you know at, over over this this whole thing we've tried to be like overly cautious more than than you know be more risky and things like that but keeping his staff safe and and following local guidelines and everything so we're we're excited to you know run events and things like that and have people just come in the store and you know see we, we did a lot of renovation too while the pandemic was happening it was a you know a tough time for a lot of stores but it was a good opportunity for us while we were closed to you know not have people walking around and and we're like, let's renovate and, and push for uh, like WPM premium, which is like a thing that, you know, stores who do magic care about a lot. Sure. You get special privileges, special foil cards and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Wizards knows how to, you know, hook you in with these, these bonuses and things. They, they did it for tournament magic. They do it for the same thing for stores and things like that. Yeah. I know this is uh, humans of magic, but I know we could get into humans of flesh and blood as well. Cause I've seen your tweets about, Flesh and blood, that seems to be a very popular game in your part of the woods, right? 
I, yeah, I think in various areas, it's it's growing. Um, it's, a, it's a game that's actually made by somebody who uh, I think he won New Zealand National back in the day. I know I've seen, like, a, I know he's played a PT or, or a few. And the game's pretty interesting to me. It feels very much like there's a lot of, it's, it's one of those things that I've only played Magic in my life, like as far as TCGs. Like, I'll get demoed games at the store and always be like, yeah, I'm not, you know, it's not for me. I'm not interested. I'm just magic is my game. It's always been my game. This is the first game that like I did the demo and I tried. So I, I know what I'd be talking about. I'm like, I'm actually really interested in the gameplay, at least to me. Like I, I hate to be the person that's like pushing games on people and things like that. Like I, I've never been somebody to, to be like that way, but I'm, I'm really enjoying the game and my friends are starting to play now. There's, there's, uh, you know, like road to nationals and they, they announced like a pro tour and things like that. So they're kind of filling my competitive itch that, you know, magic's kind of not doing for me right now. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm gone for magic. Like I, I'll be back playing GPs if they come back one day and things like that, but I'm, I'm really enjoying this game and I can't wait to run like limited events. Cause you know, I'm a limited guy. So that this game is supposed to be built for limited and everybody's oh. saying it's great. So yeah. Okay. I know you have a very, strong magic pedigree in fact that's why we're doing the interview but it, it, i think it takes a lot for someone to be like hey i really enjoy this new ccg if they're so have such a history with magic so it sounds to me like it must be a pretty good game at least from a design and other perspective right yeah I'm, i mean who knows how long these games last like i i think for now there's you know there's been um, I think four set, the fifth one's coming out later. And so far they've done a lot of good things. I'm not going to say they're perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, but like, I think for me, from judging from history of these TCGs and things like that is like, they learn from a lot of mistakes that other games have done in the past. They learn, they learn from a lot of good things that, you know, magic has done to be around forever. And the first, I think six or seven sets are kind of like, this is the basic of our game. This is where this game's going. And it's kind of, you know, kind of, I don't want to say easy, but like after six or seven set, it's kind of hard. It's when like you kind of, okay, we're, we have to innovate. We have to push without being too, you know, making things too broken. And I think that's where game design, like I'm not a game designer, but I, I know that this is kind of where I think it, it gets harder for, for a game to survive and things like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like a make or break situation. Cause now that you have that baseline, how do you differentiate yourself without breaking the game, right? That's always a yeah, challenge. Exactly. And then there's always a monetary thing. Like, how do you keep selling boxes without keep making every card, you know, better than the set before, which Magic is going through all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I I know you said you've been in Toronto for the past uh, couple of years and, you know, working with Harry, Harry T. But I understand that you're not originally from Toronto, right? So maybe let's start from... The very beginning, like where did you grow up exactly? Uh, I assume it's in Canada, but I'd love to hear in your own words. Yeah, so I grew up in Montreal. Um, my mom is uh, French Canadian. French is my first language. Uh, my dad's Indian, like from India. Um, and yeah, so I, I grew up in Montreal. French was like I, I nowadays I forget words. I've been in Ontario for so long that you know my French is not as good. They <laughs> don't do so much French over there, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up in Montreal. Um, my dad left when I was really young. Like I, I didn't see him around. So he was gone when I was like six months old or something. So mm -hmm. um, basically no contact with that side of the family. Mm -hmm. So, um, and my, you know, my mom's got her own set of issues and things like that. But I basically grew up um, with a single mom on welfare. Uh, she basically never worked. Uh, she's got like, you know, 
mental issues and things like that. So she, you know, she did her best and everything, but it wasn't always, wasn't always easy. Mm-hmm. Were you an only child or did you have siblings? So I have a half sister that's uh, 16 years older than me. Um, she's from like a, a previous relationship that my mom had previous marriage. So in a way she's like, you know, age wise, she's like, yeah, it's such a large gap, right? It's such a large gap that like, like at times I know I've been out with her before and people would think like she would be my mom, you know? So it, it would like age wise, make a little bit of sense too. So, but yeah, my sister is who I got my love of games for, for sure. Like even when I was uh, really young, we would play card games and, you know, my mom would play to fit in, but to, to fill the, the games or whatever, but we would play like card games around the table and everything. And I remember from like six or seven years old, just being playing games with adults and trying to, you know, follow along and learn. And eventually yeah, I just, I think from there on, I, I basically just always loved games. Were you the most competitive in your household? Uh, no, I think, I think my sister was, I mean, my sister was a lot older, a lot, you know, at, at that time, a lot smarter than me and, and things like that. So yeah, I, I don't think I won very much. I don't remember being, you know, all that great, but um, it kind of like fueled my, my love of game. And I don't know if like, I don't know if I was like always like super competitive when I was younger, I was more like just happy to be, you know, part of the, the adult group and playing. That was like a way for me to be like at the table with them. Right. Do you remember some of your favorite games when you were six or seven years old? So Must be hard <laughs> to remember. No, I, I remember because we played this card game a lot and I, I don't like, I, I believe the English name is actually like asshole. Um, this, <laughs> the, the French name is but like, which is translated, but I, I do think that's like the name of the game, but I, I could be wrong, but yeah. Um, and it's like, a, just a card game that we used to play. It's like a four player game. And is it, is it an, is it an actual game with like spe- a special deck or do you have to just use a playing cards and you have like rules for it? It's playing cards. I'm, I guess like from playing it with my wife, it's very close to the equivalent of uh, big deuce. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it's kind of like a very similar thing where you pass card around and things like that. But yeah. And I remember you said that later on at some point you got into chess, right? So can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So um, at some point I, I went to um, a private high school. I got a scholarship to go to like a private high school in Montreal and I just, never really fit in except I saw found that they had um like a chess club so I was like okay I'm you know the nerds that'll be like my people right so I went over and I you know I wasn't great at chess I just kind of knew the rules and then I just started reading books and playing chess and then eventually I started um going to like local small tournaments like they I guess they they always rank people by like you know you start at I think it was very similar to magic ratings where you started like, yeah, magic ratings came from chess, I think. Right. Yeah. So that that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think I played like some of the really entry level tournaments and, but like, I was never great at it. And, um, but from the chess club, um, that's where I saw people start. We're playing magic from the people who were playing chess. So that's basically like where I saw my first magic cards when I was in, I think uh, first or second year of high school. And like, we would play chess and then I would like, go and and play magic at, in the cafeteria in between the time that we were like not in class and stuff give me an idea give me an idea as to the time frame i think we're similar in age but like what magic sets were there out at the time so i think ice age was around there i remember going to uh the store that was close to school that was just like selling sports cards and like magic packs and i would get like ice age or Weatherlight. basically were my my big choices or like fourth edition or something like that is what they had, but that's around the time frame that that I started playing. 
Okay, so I think we're right around the same age then. Uh, okay. Not to make it about me, but I, no, I, no, I, I have fond memories of the, the Ice Age and later the, was it Mirage and Visions and that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, like I, 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 I'm not exactly sure, but I do remember vividly that like Weatherlight was like, like the newest set at some point. When oh, I was yes, Weatherlight, yeah. More. yeah. And yeah, I remember going to like finding a store like where I ended up being like my LGS and um a bands was like a broken magic card because for some reason some some head judge uh ruled that when you played a bands it meant your opponent couldn't tap their lands for mana so like a band basically read as like time walk and draw card which was like a broken card for mm-hmm. like six months or something and lasted so i would like go to school trade them you know clones and random cards that people wanted and get like all the bands and you know, later curse scroll. I remember getting those things and then going back to, you know, going back and forth and kind of hustling. Cause they didn't really like, it's not like nowadays where you can just look up the price of any card on TCG. It would be like, yeah, you'd have to open, you know, scry magazine. Scry or inquest. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like people at school didn't, you know, for the most part, didn't really know. So that's how I would, you know, trade my way up. So I didn't play tournaments back then, but you you're, you mentioned uh, a abiance or abeyance. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, yeah. but it was that it was that white and one instant or interrupt or whatever it was at the time, and yeah, it basically it was, was ruled like a as a time walk, right? You had to. Yeah, so like I think abeyance reads as uh, you can't use activated abilities and and something else. I can't remember exactly, but basically it meant that they ruled that you couldn't tap your lands for mana. So basically, you would go like. On your opponent's upkeep, you'd be like abandons you, and you draw a yeah. card because abandons his cantrip, and that's what all they could do. If I remember correctly, was draw a card, um, like play a land for turn and attack, and that's it. Like you couldn't tap your lands for anything. So, like I think I believe Cal Rose won U.S. Nats if if my memory is correct with like a, a white winnie deck with a ban. So it might have been somebody else, but it's been a while. But I remember that it was like a big card. Yeah, it was a basically a literal time walk. That, that's wild, man. I didn't know they had that. Like, I, I, it's it's these things that like you read about because I never played, but you read about like the history of competitive magic, and you're just thinking like, this is wild. <laughs> like, this is like before there was like silence in these cards. Like, you had a card like this which would do that plus via time walk, which is pretty sick. Yeah, plus a draw card. Like it's it says draw a card. It can trips. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry to jump quickly into that but uh you must have other things going on as well before chess and magic right like what was your what was your childhood like like what what were things that you were into maybe describe that for me a little bit um from like elementary school i remember playing like i would play basketball in in elementary school i played a little bit in high school also but yeah i loved basketball i was i'm you know i'm a fat guy now but i was pretty skinny in in when i grew up and and in high school and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, playing basketball, playing games with family um, and then playing video games. Like I had like a, a Super Nintendo. It was the big, my, my, sorry, my sister gave me a Super Nintendo when I was a kid for Christmas. And it was like, like, again, I, you know, I grew up with like a bad place in town in Montreal and didn't have, you know, much money. So like me getting like a, a huge gift like that was a big deal. So I just basically like all my friends came over and I was the only one in, you know, on my street who, who had a super Nintendo. So we played, played that a lot and yeah, basketball and, and video games, basically card games and stuff like that. What was your, what's your favorite super Nintendo game of all time? Um, super Nintendo. I've, man, it's been so long. Uh, I, I remember these like obscure games that I would like, there's this game called, 
um, I think it's called the Rock and Roll, no, something, The Lost Vikings, sorry. So I think. Oh, I remember that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it was like a puzzle game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like Street Fighter, obviously. But like, yeah, the, this game was like, I, I believe was like the f- original, original game that Blizzard made, like before they were called Blizzard. Yep. They're like, they were, I can't remember what they were called exactly. But yeah, it, it was like a puzzle game. And I think they made a couple, a couple of them that were, but I enjoyed that. I guess it, it fits in like the whole puzzle and, and games things for me. That is a real blast from the past. Like mm-hmm. I had not thought about the Vi- Lost Vikings for a long time uh that's yeah that that's a trip yeah i love that game as well it's it's like there were games like that back in the day like lemmings and lost vikings yeah. it was like real-time puzzle strategy kind of game those were cool yeah, exactly. yeah yeah okay so how did you make the the serious leap into competitive magic because at some point you probably just said forget chess forget maybe some of the other things and just kind of go more focused into magic like how how did that start to happen for you so i started playing so i was playing i was going to this um this lgs in montreal like all the time anytime i could basically um and there would be drafting and you know running events but i it took me a while to start playing tournaments i was i was like 14 when i was going so i would play multiplayer like we would just there was no commander or anything it was just like you'd play multiplayer and it would be like either like attack left or emperor like whatever format that was oh man i remember that too (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i i played casual like like commander like fits for me too because like i just that's my my roots like i played you know magic for fun that i didn't really you know play competitive right away um and then eventually i started drafting because i was like they were running at drafts every i think it was like every friday or every thursday or something at the store and it was kind of like I didn't have money for, to have like an, a standard deck or to build like whatever the, the new deck was, but I like I could pay for a draft and then like you know get some cards that way. And I could also like trade in cards to the store to get store credit and you know play drafts like that. So I basically started drafting and I kind of just fell in love with it right away. Like I was just like, okay, like this is like a level playing field where like people can't beat me because they have more money than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I just like apply myself, like I just started like reading things online that I could find. It was back in the day. It was like basically the dojo and that was it. Right. So I just started reading anything I could about limited and even read anything about constructed. I was like, I just want, anytime there's an article somewhere that's talk about limited, that I'm just going to read it and try to learn. And I just tried to do my best to, you know, go to one or whatever it was and get some cards and, and try to keep going that way. That's pretty nuts because as I understand it, like I would say like not just limited, but constructed magic, like in the nineties or even early two thousands is like kind of a wild West. Like nobody knew what they were doing. Like there, there wasn't that much available theory. I would say probably information just didn't cascade the same way back then. So did you find yourself like getting good at being good at limited or draft right away? Or did you have to like figure things out? Like, or were you just a natural? Like, I, I want to understand how that worked for you. So I, yeah, I wasn't a natural. Like I just, I think in general, like Quebec just wasn't very good. Like compared to the rest of the world um, at Magic, it's just, uh, some of it, I think a lot of it was, I can't speak for now how it is exactly because I haven't lived there in a long time, but there was a lot of, um, how you say, like xenophobia back then. Like if you didn't speak French, um, like like I used to get made fun of in school for like speaking English. Cause I would, you know, I learned English from like watching TV and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it was like, 
people like there was like a lot of talk about separating from Canada also at this time. I think that there was like a referendum and, and stuff like that. I so, remember that too. Yeah, I lived through that. Yeah. Too. So like there was a lot of like looking down at anybody who's you know spoke English or like people not wanting to read articles in English or not knowing English well enough. So like I think a lot of it caused Montreal and Quebec to to like lag behind other parts of Canada, other parts of North America and, you know, getting really good players in, in Magic. So I just started reading everything I could when I was in school. Um, like I would go to the library and print out our dojo articles and read them over and over again. And then I started um, asking around where the other LGS were in Montreal and just like making a schedule of which LGS my you know I could go that my mom would allow me to go like I was 14 or was 15. it because you were already crushing things at that store that you want a better comp comp or no, did you just more like I see the world kind of thing see what's out there I just wanted to draft more right there was no uh, so I just was like okay there's a draft at this store on Wednesday there's a draft at this store on Friday um there's a draft at this store on Sunday afternoon so like I can hit all of them and then just keep drafting and and then that's how I I got better And that's how I started meeting people who were better than me and trying to absorb. Because like basically that's one of the things that they kept having on articles over and over again on, you know, on the dojo is just like try to find somebody who's better than you or, or somebody who's as good as you and, you know, ask questions, try to watch and everything. And I was like, some of these drafts were like, <laughs> I don't, I can't believe the, when I look back, like there was a draft I remember on Wednesday that some, some guy ran at a bar so like i'm 14 years old and like he's talking to the guy who owns a bar and he's like okay we're not going to put any drinks on his table he, he's going to be at the table in the corner the whole night and he's you know so i'm 14 there's people drinking there's people like drunk people falling over like it's not like super dramatic it was like you know they serve food and everything but it was just like looking back it's just like how is like how was that how was i allowed to be out until you know 9 10 p.m on a school night at 14 in a bar and like it's just stuff that wouldn't fly like you know that probably shouldn't have been there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but it sounds like you learned a lot and you started running into players whom were better than you and do you remember like did you have specific people that you looked up to or like maybe not like officially your mentor but just sort of like okay every time you played against them like you learned something you were like slowly getting better and uh, that kind of thing Yeah. So it, you also kind of see it like it's the same people that, you know, win the draft and everything like that, or like people talk about this person and everything. So for me, it was um, this guy named Danny. He was like really tall. I think he was like six, eight or something uh, native guy. And he, you know, he'd won a couple of PTQs. I think he played a couple PTs, but never, never did well. Um, but I think by the time I met him, I was like 15 or something like that. And Um, I would just ask him questions anytime I could. Um, Danny's like, a, was, I mean, he's still around. He's still Danny. He's just, um, he was like a homeless guy. He had his own struggles and everything. And for him, um, like winning a draft or winning a, a constructed FNM meant the difference between like eating or not eating that day, which was like kind of a messed up situation in general, but that, you know, he, he had his own issues. And, but anytime I asked him questions or anything, like he loved the game. Right. And he, you know, he, He really loved magic and he would have no problem. Like we would play drafts when my match was over, we would play against each other, our draft decks, even though we weren't paired or anything. And he never, you know, he never treated me differently. We just had like, he was, you know, older than me and we just had a common um, love for, for the game. And yeah, I also like, I also believe that when you're around that time where you start to be competitive, the people that you either learn from or around you, 
really affect how you, um, you know, how your set of morals for the game go. Because especially in like late nineties, early two thousand, there was like, you know, it's not a secret. There was a lot of cheating and a lot of the rules were, you know, different back then and things like that. So as, as you get more competitive, you kind of like the group that you're around will, will affect you a lot. So I'm learning from somebody who's, you know, literally homeless and, you know, you'll, he'll sleep on, you know, friend's couch or people that, that we know and things like that. And he basically would be like, you, you find a line that's legal, like whatever is as far as you can push it. And that's as far as I'll go. And that's as far as I think you should go. Um, that means anything that, you know, rules lawyering or any, any of those things by this set of moral. And, you know, I'm 15, I'm listening to him. I'm looking up to him is how you should do, but you should never cross that line. You should never draw an extra, you should never cheat. You never, if your opponent's trying to, you know, you should never do something that would be actively cheating. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, like now, you know, 20 years later, 20 something years, I have, you know, a different set of moral. I'm a grown man and everything, but I think if at that time he had told me like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm homeless. It's life stuff. And like, if I can find an edge and, and draw an extra card when my opponent's not looking, I'm going to do it. And it's his fault if he doesn't catch it, which I think was the mentality of some, you know, young pros on the PT later when I, when I played was like, if my opponent doesn't catch me, it's his fault. And he's the sucker. So when I'm like, when you think back on it, like, it's like this guy, you know, has his own struggles and everything, but like, that's the line. And like, that's how I learned. And I basically followed that basically my whole, you know, the whole time I was playing on the PT early on. So it sounds like Danny, I don't want to say like taught you, but he influenced you about values as a competitive magic player. And I think it's so easy to, nobody wants to admit this now because we have Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff where people publicize their lives. But I think people who are listening to this, who are maybe got into magic much later, let's say like starting with arena or like in the last 10 years, like people don't understand like how much of a literal wild west it was back then. Like this is why you have people like the meddling mage, Chris Pakula, like people saying he should be recognized for more for his contributions to crack down on cheating and things like that. This is just one example, but like it was, was, I played other CCGs at that point and it was the same thing. Like people would just like, fake tournaments to like booster elo like people would be cheating left and right and like there was this mindset like if you weren't cheating you weren't trying hard enough that kind of thing yeah like i i know people that gets a lot of credit for it and he should i i think that a lot of the judges at that time should get a lot of credit too a lot of them you know help rewrite the rules and i think in general in magic's history judges have not gotten enough credit for how you know how much um, how much of, a, of an impact in the game that that they have a lot of those people you know fly all over the world and you know nowadays i think they're you know they, they were getting paid a, l- a little bit better but back in the day it was it was pretty bad and you know how much they just love the game and want to be a part of it is is a big reason why magic got as big as it did in, in the early days for competitive definitely it wasn't just because of r&d or some uh it wasn't just one reason for sure it was a a lot of it combined together yeah so as you start to get better you're playing with danny and other guys like tell me about your first major magic level up moment like in your mind how did you get on the map so to speak you know um so like my first like 
big finish was I made uh, top four of a Canadian nationals. Um, and that was, you know, an event that was, that happened. It was, it wasn't like a huge deal. I qualified for worlds. I didn't go, didn't have the money at the time. The world's I think was in Australia. Mm-hmm. My first like really event that really leveled me up and that I really took it seriously was uh, there was a hometown GP, which for a lot of people is how they get up. I, I listened to receivables recently and uh, Cedric was talking about doing well in his hometown GP. And it's, it's like that for me. So I won a trial at this time. I think I'm like 16, maybe 17 or I just turned 17. And I'm, I'm taking magic seriously. And, you know, I've scooped in a couple of finals of PTQs because I can't afford to go or I'd rather take the cash than, than go. And so I'm, so back in the day, they had these, these events for, for younger players that were JSS that would give out um, junior super series that would give out uh, scholarships and things like that. And then they also had this thing called amateur prize at GPs. So basically it would be the top, finisher who had never had a pro point lifetime would get $1,500 us. And it would trickle down. I think they would give out like, I'm not sure, maybe 5,000 total split up between all the amateurs. And so basically I won a GP trial. So I had three buys in, in the GP in Montreal. And I, I did well enough that I found myself playing for top eight. Um, it was limited, obviously limited. So I was playing like nonstop limited and so i'm playing for top eight against uh dave humphreys who you know is now works at at r&d for wizards but is also like before very well known magic professional player yeah yeah. he you know he won a pro tour he was part of the best team at the time yomu games and i'm 17 but it's my hometown gp so i'm in a feature match we're playing for top eight and you know the the person writing the feature match is one of his friends who if you look at if i look at the the coverage is very biased towards him, <laughs> but it's a feature match in my hometown and nobody from Quebec's ever made top eight of a GP. Like, um, and one of my friends who was like a mutual person that, you know, we kind of came up at the same time was basically locked in for top eight already. So I'm playing my feature match and there's maybe 20 people behind me. Like people then make day two who, you know, have known me for being around Montreal and doing well at limited events. And I just like, even though I'm playing against somebody who I should be intimidated, I just feel like everybody's on my side. Like everybody wants me to do well. Cause it's, you know, everybody wants to see somebody from Montreal to get in the top eight and represent the local people. And yeah, I, I went, my deck was better than his. I I'm sure you outplayed me at multiple occasions, but it didn't matter had, you know, bombs. And that's one way to win limited, right? Like that's one way that, you know, I can catch up on somebody who's clearly better than me at that time. So yeah, I make top eight, and the top eight is this other person's name is Louis Boileau, who um, we basically were like the same age, came up, we we're kind of had like a friendly rivalry. We try to push each other to be, people would always discuss like who's better. And in the top eight, there's um, there's the, this guy named PTR, Peter Zgetti, who rest in peace, passed away now, but he was a big character on the Pro Tour, you know, loud and kind of embodied the the wrestlers, uh, the heel on the on the pt mm-hmm. a lot of stories about him but so we're on we're on the top eight and it's uh rochester draft so it's a format that's dead now but it's uh face-up draft and you draft one card at a time and everybody can see everybody everybody's else. drafting from the same pool right yeah so you open one pack and then like i take a card then it goes to you and you take a card and it just goes around and around so like a lot of rochester draft is cooperating like it's i understand why it's gone it was really slow and like it's not really that scale intensive. It's more like 
you know, don't fight with your neighbors and try to find a lane and, and stick to mm-hmm. it. So um, the way GPs used to work is you'd be paired against your opponent would be on the other side of the table. So you already know who you're playing round one. So I'm playing Mike Turian and it's back three. His deck's insane. And PTR, who's next to me, I'm passing to. We've been working, you know, staying in our lane, which yeah. we're supposed to do. He's playing against my friend, Louis B. Um, so I open my, my third pack and, you know, there's a medium card from me. And I just look at it and I'm just like, there's a really good card for him. Just one good card for his deck. I was like a removal or whatever. And I just look at the pack and I'm like, you know what? There's like a 23rd card here. So I just wait till the last second and I just take the card for PTR. So you just, hate drafted that, that card. I yeah. just hate draft face up and he just goes, what the fuck? <laughs> and he just loses mine. Yeah. And he's just like immediately gets a penalty from the judge. Yeah. For swearing. And um, and for talking, I guess, too. But for talking, you're not supposed more. to talk. And yeah. he, he ends up goof grabbing. So, like, he, he's so flustered that he takes like a card at random. And after the draft is done, I'm hanging out with uh, Gabe Sang, who I'm friends with by then. And he he's like, What did what did I do to your boy? Like, why did he do this? And I'm just like sitting there quietly. And I'm just like, Yeah. Just fun stories. But yeah, so to finish this this whole thing is um, I was the only amateur in top eight. So I lost in the quarter Saturian, but I locked up basically first place money, um, which was only like 20. So I got 1500 for being the top amateur and I got 800 for making top eight, which at the time for me was with the, you know, UX exchange rate was like, yeah, large, the most money. money I had. Yeah. I was like, well, it's a lot of money for, uh, for someone at your age anyway, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of money. I immediately bought a computer and just started playing magic online nonstop. Ah, okay. Magic online had already existed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Magic online. I was like in the beta, basically I was playing at the LGS. Like I would have to pay to play magic online on there. <laughs> it's like a web cafe. You go there and yeah, I would okay. trade in cards to get time so I could play magic online and draft on there. That's how I practiced for this GP. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I guess if you want to do so well in a GP or professionally, you have to be pretty uh pretty much like a a fiend you, it sounds like you at that point you were just like living and breathing magic right yeah by that time it's basically i'm in high school like i'm like probably like my senior year of high school and or like or the year before i can't remember but and i'm just like if i'm not in school or doing homework once i'm done my homework it's just like magic whatever by that time i'm playing constructed i'm playing everything and like there's no events i'm going to the store i'm trading in cards to or whatever money i have to uh to be able to play magic online at the store's computer did you end up uh going to university or did you just start doing magic more more full-time i didn't go to university no um i graduated and then i just basically by by the time i was done i was playing magic a lot but i was also starting to play poker at that time mm-hmm. so i just yeah there was like, to be fair, I hated school. Like, I hated high school. It Academic stuff, yeah. I, I've i always loved studying, but it was always being like, if I'm not interested in the subject, then I'm just not going to be interested. So, like, being forced to learn geography or whatever it was at the time, for me, it, it just didn't register. Um, looking back, I, I'm sure it would have made my, my life easier in general if, if I went that route. But yeah. it just, at the time... I, yeah, it just didn't didn't attract me. I think in the same way that like 
I hated playing constructed is because it always felt like homework to me. And to this day, I still don't enjoy it. I, I understand that it's, it's, you know, the biggest draw for magic in general for people. Mm-hmm. It's just like, for me, it always felt like homework. And I just, you know, that's, what's beautiful about magic is that like the game, there's so many different formats, so many different ways to play it. Like, yeah. I, by the time I finished high school, I was, you know, on the PT, I was playing poker, just starting to play poker. And it just, yeah, didn't appeal to me to go to, I always thought, oh, I'll go later. And it just never happened. Yeah. Got it. So you were, became a full-time uh, magic grinder slash pro kind of thing. And, uh, and you said constructed felt like homework, right? Cause back then also they had different, they had, uh, was it, they had like limited PTs and constructed yeah. PTs. So there was fully s- separate. So you could actually focus on one over the other, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. So I'd never cashed any constructed PT. They were all, you know, individually constructed or individually limited. I cashed, I think almost all the limited PTs I played. Maybe I missed cash on one. Like I only played like 16 pro tours before I quit or something like that. So I didn't, I wasn't like, I brand, I shine bright, I guess, but I, I, you know, burned out quick. Um, but yeah, I never cashed any constructed PT and back in the day you could have like specialists, like somebody like nowadays, like Ben Stark or Sigris who are, obviously very good at constructed also, but mm-hmm. like if they had individual limited PTs would uh, clearly dominate more than, than they do nowadays. Right. I look at somebody like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember his name. Alex, Alex uh, Nikolic, I think court of calls. He writes like limited articles that are really good. Oh uh, yeah. Very, very excellent. Uh, limited player. Yeah. yeah. So like, I think somebody like that, if he was playing magic, um, like back in my day, like 15 years ago or something, he could probably actually like be on the train, be on the PT and do really well. Cause there was like, you know, there would be limited GPs that fed into limited pro tours and then team limited pro tours every year. So like, it was very possible to have people like me who were only good at limited, who were actually like atrocious at constructed to make it on the PT. Who were the really strong limited players in your generation? I guess some of the folks on the, in the hall of fame now, but, uh, and you had mentioned some names, but are, are those the names that come to mind or. Um, I mean, Kai was the best, like, it doesn't matter. Constructed limited, like people. Kai, Kai make, Buddha, right. Kai Buddha. Yeah. Uh, I don't think people like, I understand it was a different time. And nowadays like people like Paolo and everything are like really good and probably, you know, learned a lot from the generations before them and they're better in my, like, it's how it should be like the generations just like in sports, like or learn from the people before and should be getting better. But I don't think people understand how dominant Kai was. Like I lost PT final to Kai and he was just like, that's the most outdrafted I've ever felt in, in my life. Right. Like he was just like, I don't want to say like he was like intimidating or anything. He was just like, he would outwork people. And he was like, when you have that combination of naturally talented and, you know, really work hard, that mm-hmm. that's kind of what you get people like that. Um, so Kai was amazing. Um, Nikolai Herzog was really good at limited. And then um, I would hang out with the French a lot because I spoke French on the PT. Mm-hmm. So like people like Raph Levy who drafted a lot of like unconventional decks back in the day, strategies that might've been like ahead of its time and things like that. Right. Uh, like Levy was really good. Um, and then, yeah, there was a, a bunch of people who like were around. I, uh, Neil Reeves was incredible. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, Some of these yeah. names have, have, uh, are just legendary and I obviously I've not played against them, but it's just like, when you start hearing names that people even now mention enough, you, you, you know, that they're, 
they're good. And and and, and Kai sounds like it, he he was sort he's sort of like LeBron James because like uh, to use a maybe a flawed basketball analogy, like a lot of people are probably built like LeBron James around the world, but not a lot of people are as skilled as LeBron James. So it's like you have to not only have that natural disposition, but also have the work. And it sounded like he crushed like all the formats. So it wasn't just like constructed. Yeah. It wasn't just limited. It was like all of the above, right? Yeah, he. I think he won like two or three team PTs. He won like two team masters. Like he was also like, I think he understood really well how to get the best out of people around him. And like, it's not like he was playing with some slouch too. Like he won with Dirk Babrowski who won a limited pro tour on his own. So like, I think he was really good, worked really hard and knew how to work within a team. Like even nowadays when like he was, I think he was in the MPL or in a rivals. Yeah, he did well. He did well. Yeah. And um, like, I think one thing you'll, you'll hear about him all the time is he's like a great person to test with. Like he's willing to play whatever deck in testing that people have. And he's willing to, you know, I, I think he's, that's just like his willingness to work within a team and it's always something like i tested with him for one team limited pt where we just like went to atlanta and just hold up in like some lgs for two weeks and just played and like the first you know the first few days we would be testing with you know three on three team limited with whoever was there also to test and by like the second week we were just like like we would draft all three decks one v one and just like comment on like how we would play these cards and like he was you know, I thought I was really good at, at you know, I, I think I was very good at Team Rochester. It's it's by far my, you know, the format I was known for, but he was still like miles ahead of me. Like he was so much better than the second place person, in basically every format. It's kind of incredible. How did that make you feel? Just like when you think you're already in the top X percent of the world, but then there's somebody that just shows up and is like, does, does he make you reevaluate your life choices or like everything you know about magic or, or what, or you just kind of just say, he's like, this is the goat. And so I just, yeah. Just, like know. I like, to be clear, I wasn't like, I wasn't like a top 10, like limited player. No, but you were no slouch, right? You're, you're I was, like I was definitely top 1% in the world. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I was very good at this specific format that I took a lot of, I put a lot of effort in team, team Rochester and I, and I thought I was one of the best players in the world. And, and I think I was in, in that very small. And you should be confident because how, how are you going to perform yeah. if you're not confident? Well, right? I heard this interview with, or this comment with uh, Charles Barkley when he had played against Michael Jordan, in the finals and his kid asked him um, like he, he lost to Jordan, I think the first game or second game in the finals. And this kid asked him like, what happened? You lost, you lost to Michael Jordan. And he was like, up to this day, I thought I was, the best player in the world. Like I honestly believed I was the best player in the world. And then I played against Mike in the final and like, he showed me who the best player in the world was. Like, it's just like, that's how I felt just playing against Kai. It's like, I think I'm really good. And he's like two levels above that. And it just like, I, the way that I'm, that I would say is like the way I feel when I'm drafting against like a random person at the LGS and I would practice team Rochester against whoever wanted to play is how it felt that he was compared to me and me. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, he worked incredibly hard and he was really good. It's hard to uh, maybe unfair to ask you to describe that because like, how, how, I mean, it just sounds like he's just like on another level, which you admitted he is. Right. So yeah, I want to talk about, maybe some notable 
moments in your in your in your time as a magic competitor like i i like you've got so many achievements so it's really hard to know how to how exactly to hone in on it but this is a famous one right for those who don't know there was a there's a team rochester draft that you were in with uh with nasif and and gabe and gabe sang who, whom you had mentioned before so can you tell me a bit about that particular one and in your own words, like how, how it started, like how did you guys create that team? Um, so 2004, Nassif won uh, player of the year. Gabe is not playing that, uh, Gabe Tang is not playing that much magic. Kind of retired, right? Yeah, kind of. Like he, I think we played me, him and Terry Tang played a team PT the year before. We didn't do well. And I don't think he played an, another PT that year. Uh, Nassif won player of the year. And then I made top four nationals again and qualified for worlds. This time I went, it was in San Francisco. Um, so at this point I'm, I'm playing magic, but not like as much as I used to. And I just decided to do the thing that I should have done way earlier, which is I'm friends with Nassif and he's, you know, one of the best at this time, one of the best, if not the best deck builder in the world. And I, I just asked him for his deck list for worlds. And he's nice enough that he just gives them to me for, standard and block constructed. So I test um, the block constructed deck list for, you know, a long time and I'm fully ready. This is like the most confident I feel about a deck. And on the, the back in the day to worlds was like three days. It was a big tournament, like a PT. And I, I'm very confident in this deck. I'm I think nine and three or something going to last day. And you could still change deck back then. So Nassif shows up the morning of, and he's like, okay, Scrap everything that we were playing. I built this deck last night. I think it's really good to attack the meta game and just play this. Trust me. So I'm like, you know what? Whatever I've done in my life in constructed has never worked. So might as well trust them. So I just go from vendor to vendor, grab these cards for this mono green deck, um, and I end up going five and one. He goes, I think, four and two and makes top eight world. I finish top 16. So now I'm qualified for like upcoming pro tours, even though I'm kind of playing poker full-time by then and i'm really close to nasif like he's, he's you know he's we, we both did well and we're friends so he so keep in mind he just won player of the year he just made top eight of world also and the next team the next event is the team pro tour which back in the day you could um if you had 50 pro points between three players it didn't matter how it was spread out you could qualify your team so nasif is like listen i i like you a lot I know you're really good at team limited. Like that's the thing about me is that people didn't really know me that well, like in North America, but all the French would always money draft with me and we would crush. So like my reputation in France as a limited player was incredible, which it was like way higher than probably it should have been, but people really looked, you know, thought I was really good. So Nassif really wanted to play with me and I think we, I remember we discussed like a few French player that he wanted to play with. Like he had all the pro points, right? At, so like he, he, he really alone can just, so, can just create yeah, the, the could team. Qualify right? anybody in the world. He had like over a hundred pro point, I think. And I'm like, listen, I really want to play with Gabe Tsang. I think uh, he's one of the best players I've ever seen. He just doesn't, you know, take the game all that seriously all the time. And we, I know we went back and forth for weeks and he would be like, I don't even know this guy. I've never met him. He's not playing magic. Like, and I'd be like, trust me, this guy's incredible. Like you, you know, I don't, I don't want to play with anybody else but him. So, so basically, you you sort of made it in a into a kind of a negotiation where it's like, yeah. I'm not going to play with you unless we get this guy in. 
Yeah, pretty much. And I think at some point he's like, okay, let me ask around for people who might know this guy. References. Yeah. References. (laughs) That's exactly what it, what it was. Cause you know, they've never really met. So I think he asked around at, I think the person that he asked, like, I'm not sure, but I, I believe the person he asked was Yui. And I think Yui thinks pretty highly of Gabe, Gabe Tang. So I think Yui gave that. That's that's my guess is gave him a, a good reference. And then he was like, "All right, you know what? Let's do it." Sitting PT, I trust you. So we go to this PT, and it's kind of funny. We show up the day before, and the, all the North Americans are coming up to me in the seat, and like we're all standing together, and they're they're kind of like talking to him. They're like, you know, why are you playing with these guys? Like they're just like they're. Who, kind who of are like, these two guys? <laughs> who are these guys? Like why are you playing with them? And like what's going on? Nassif's like, I, I don't know. We'll see, whatever. And then... Um, I, I know Nassif too. Yeah, I, can, I can just imagine him and his like, uh, I don't know, like his, his demeanor. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, it's funny because I go hang out with the French. And at this time, Nassif had lost in like four final PT finals, I think. He'd lost in like finals of a couple GP. He was actually like nicknamed Enboss, which he's like, you know, shed by now because he's, he's won so much. But he had this reputation for losing the finals. Oh, like you that. mean Enboss, like not in a great way. Like he's like yeah, like second or something. No, it's more like this is the person you have to beat so you can win the Pro Tour. That was like his nickname. Oh, right. right? It's, it's a good thing, but he didn't actually win the thing at that time anyway. Yeah. It's more like you play the whole Pro Tour and then you get to the finals and you have to beat Nassif. You to have to beat him. Yeah, yeah, like a video game. He's the end boss. So you have sure. to beat him to win. Um, so I'm yeah, I go to the, the French and the French are like, why are you playing with Nassif? And I'm just like, what do you mean? He's like, because, you know, he's really good at constructed, but they're like, he's not, at that time, he wasn't very known to be good and limited. And I'm just like, I just think he's just a good magic player. And like, it doesn't right. matter if it's limited or constructed. It's like, yeah. So we played this, this event. Um, I've, I remember like we played sealed and you need to go four two to make day two. And it's round six. So back in the day, you couldn't talk to each other when you were playing uh, team any team event and so i can't remember who won but me me and nasif go one and one and it's on gabe game three to win for us to make day two and we're both watching his game and it looks unwinnable like the the board state is impossible and like it's just a matter of time until gabe loses so me and nasif start deceiving our deck and we're literally making three piles of splitting up the rares like we're just like okay we're gonna money draft all tomorrow and let's just put the rares whatever making rares. plans for tomorrow yeah yeah we're like whatever rares are in gabe's deck we'll just add them to the piles face down and we'll just split it up and every, like every once in a while we go look at gabe's borsay because he's still playing and like it's getting a little bit better but it still you know doesn't look winnable so we're just like sitting there waiting and we're trying to not you know make him nervous or anything and like outplay after outplay and like you know i'm sure he, he drew some cards some top decks that were timely but he somehow wins the game this is like let's see for an article about like the history of the team pt where he said like this is in my whole career one of the most insane comeback i've ever seen in my life and like that's how i feel but he's played so much more magic than me because i quit for a long time and so like for him to say that i really mean something yeah yeah and i don't know this is kind of cheesy but it's like it's like a, a disney sports movie like this is like the moment where i feel like nasif believe like he talked to me in french and he was like okay like i get it like i what you saw in, in gabe tang i get it now and we 5-0 day two in rochester made you know made the finals won the pro tour um 
but yeah, the finals is kind of funny. Um, yeah, you got to so, tell me about this. Uh, yeah, I heard, so, I heard Gabe Sang's version, but you got to tell me your version. <laughs> yeah, so we get to the finals, and uh, it's, we we're playing against a team that grinded in. So it's it's their like some of them is their first pro tour, or they haven't you know done that well. And on our team, we have you know Gabe Gabe Sang, who's got I mean I think three PT top eights by now. Like I've made a couple finals. Nasif is Nasif has like a, a million finishes, and. Um, they offer us to do a small split, which is pretty, you know, common in finals of, of PTs. And Nasif is like, yeah, I'll do whatever my teammates want. I, I don't really care. And me and Gabe are looking at each other. We're like, we're not splitting. What are you talking about? Like, let's no just split. kill them all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what are you talking about? So we do the draft and you can't talk to each other. It's team Rochester. So you can just point and, you know, make decisions. And I think at some point Nasif hated, he drafted a couple red cards from their team like removal spells and i made him draft a couple they're really bad depletion lands from kamigawa or whatever they would like you tap for a color and it doesn't untap the next turn or something so they're like really bad ways to splash and we finished the draft and nasif is really upset like he's like like i really didn't want to take these cards i really like i don't like how are you know this these decisions went because we, we can't talk this is after when we're deck building meanwhile like me and Gabe are looking at each other like we think we're the better team. We think we outdrafted them and we opened two of the best rares in the format. Like we got lucky on top of that. We opened Maloku and Master Yambushi, which are like two of the best rares you can open. So like me and Gabe just look at each other and the Seif is just like besides himself. He's angry. He's steaming and, like, and you guys are yeah. actually pretty happy. Me and Gabe are just like, this guy's like losing is cool we're in the finals of a pt we're good like we're gonna win like our decks are well, better he's probably still thinking about the split that he could have had or something <laughs> i don't know but this is the thing about this though he really disagrees with us and um we may end up making him splash the the red removal spell using the depletion lens um and we're separated so we like they separate you when in the coverage and everything and we're playing and this is the difference between people who like when you can trust each other and you, you can't like, there's a lot of teams that I've seen where like, so Nassif disagreed with our decision to play these cards, but he still played them. And if I remember correctly, he lost game one. Um, and I, he might've lost cause like one of the lands was a depletion land or something. But in this spot, a lot of people who disagree with their team will sideboard out these cards and be like, I don't right. agree with them. You can rebuild the deck. Yeah. It's sideboard. Now I can rebuild however I want and just play but like he kept the cards in the same way that that we had agreed on and you know he wins the match and we win the pt you know and then that's his, his first pt win he won another one after that and now you know i in my opinion he's one of the best of all time but it's just funny just like me and gabe's just like this guy's losing his cool like what, what's going on like we're, we're gonna win this <laughs> well sang was telling me how like during the draft he was so uh, Nasif was so visibly upset that he started to like gesture in certain ways to <laughs> to to signal his his being upset. Like, do you remember any of that? Yeah, like I vaguely remember. That. I remember more like the. Chat. I don't know if it was like crossing his arms or like just like jumping up yeah. and down or something. And I think I think there's like grainy footage of the draft on on YouTube and stuff, so I could I could probably look back. But like, okay. that's all you could do back then is just like you know you could point to a card you'd use the back of a card to show which color you wanted or you know yeah. you like, it was a silent it was like a silent film one of those like you yeah, know exactly. i could just imagine like the you guys are like the three stooges <laughs> yeah but the, yeah again but to his credit he played the deck how right. how we agreed on and 
you know, he won, he won the match. And I mean, nothing but respect for that guy. Like he's, he's been doing it for so long and he's such a nice guy too. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best for sure. Yeah. And yeah. the hall of fame stuff also confirms that. I mean, so when you guys won that, the one, that event, like how did it, did it feel like it changed your life somehow? Or did it feel like it changed your people's perception of you? Like what was the aftermath of that? It's kind of funny because like, I, I kind of quit right after, right? Like, I think it was like the retirement the, tour or something like for Gabe. It actually was Gabe, Gabe Tang won the PT and then never played a PT again. So, uh, like you, we were both qualified for everything. I played like two more. I got like destroyed in two more PTs, but I was basically play, playing poker full time. And like, I peaked in 05. Like some people peak in, in high school, like 05 was like, I won a PT, which is I'd lost in finals of one. I lost in finals of masters before. I just kind of always wanted to win a PT yeah. and you know, it's team, whatever. But like for anybody who has ever won like a large team event, whether it's a GP, a PT, or even like whatever it is, whatever you, the team event that you wanted to win, like in a CG or something, there's no better feel, at least for me, there's no better feeling than winning with your friends. Like, it's just like something you can share with other people that you know your your friends with and that's why i think team events are so popular in general um so i don't know like i wasn't really like a big name on the pt i was just like i was really good at team limited and when you win individual events people know your name when you know you win team events there's more people who won so it's more like diluted i guess and also like back in the day you'd have team names so like oh it's like team yng won the pt or team you know so it's not really like as big of a deal, but yeah, Oh five, won a PT, um, met my, you know, the girl who's been my wife now for like 15, 14, 15 years. Um, and you know, this is like the height of the poker boom moneymaker won the world series and I'm playing live poker. I'm, you know, I'm not even in, like I, I was probably in the top 50 or hundred magic players in the world. I wasn't in the top 10,000 poker players in the world. And I was making six figures a year playing poker. Like that's, that's how kind of easy it was back then. Um, yeah. So Oh five, good year for me. <laughs> Before we get into the non-magic stuff, you got to tell me a bit about money drafting because this is also something that's sort of been lost over the years. It's something that the new generation of magic players just doesn't really know about that much. Right. So like, the name kind of says it all, but like, what was it exactly? What, what exactly is money drafting? So like money drafting is straight up, it's a team, it was a team uh, booster draft. So it wasn't like Rochester, you would, you couldn't see like other people and you just walk around and find another team that was willing to draft three on three or two V two, but most of it was three on three for money. It would be either like you, you have to give me the, you have to pay my packs plus 20 or, you know, if you're a high roller back then, it'd be $50 per player. But for the most part, it was 20, $30 and it happened like, at you know gps and stuff but a lot a lot on the pt like i remember at constructed i would test for a constructed pro pt you know but i would never do well but i would still do drafts even though like there was no limited at the at the pro tour just you know so i would know how to money draft when i would eventually not make day two and yeah (laughs) it was like uh, a side hustle or side event yeah like pts weren't like i don't I quit for a long time, so I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it wasn't like a PTQ on day two or it wasn't like a GP attached to it back then. It was just like, there's the PT. There's vendors there. And like, there's like, um, I guess an LCQ the day before math. Like there was stuff before, but there wasn't 
really wasn't like much side events like during the PT. So all the pros would, you know, walk around in money draft. And the people who came in to try to make it into the PT, like the who played the LCQ would be like, well, I can put up three packs and $20 US and have a chance to play for money against pros that I look up to, that I watch coverage of. You know, it's, if anything, it's an experience. So a lot of it was like, I would walk around and because like I was on the PT for making, doing well in team, a lot of people didn't know me. So a lot of time I'd be the one that's walking around to look for the money draft. They're like, sure, I'll play against you for $50. Like I've okay. never heard so of So you it. were like just sharking people. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm I mean, the guy that would It's totally fair, but you were just sharking yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, so like so like these these PTQ players or these people who don't really know me would be like, yeah, I'll play against you for $50 and you're two random teammates. And then I'd show up and it's like me and Nassif and Levy or like me and Nassif and like Emil who was really good at limited Emil Tenenbaum. So I played with the French a lot. Uh, we won a lot. Like, I'm not going to say like we were like, in the you know best money drafter there's a lot with that really good i, yeah. I want to say like the neil but, Reeve but you, you did well for yourself right i did yeah. very well yeah like a lot of it was uh good game selection i you know i tend to punch down i guess is play against teams that i thought were worse but yeah i did very well i i like drafting a lot so like in general even if um you know the format had just been out recently i was i'd done a ton of drafts on magic online and, and things like that so that's an interesting thing to me is that there's a kind of a parallel between money drafting and, and something like poker because, you know, for one, game selection, right? When you play poker, if you're a poker grinder, you're not trying to play with the best. You're trying to find like the fish or the people who you're able to punch down on because you're, the goal is to win money, which is what money drafting is as well. And there's also this kind of like, I think the way I would say it, like it's not really like people people put a negative spin on it, but I don't I don't think it is. It's there's a kind of uh, element of grifting in it. It's kind of like you're you you can't represent that you're too strong, but you need to be like you need to get accepted into the money match or the money draft, and then you want to obviously then win, but you can't like you have to represent yourself as like you know you have to make people feel like they have a chance against you. Otherwise, they won't participate. So that's a, there's also kind of a fun sort of game selection and, and meta around that too. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to it. There's there's people who are at the top who are just like, we're the best. You guys are the second best. Let's play for money. Yeah, was, and the people will just challenge them because they want to tell the story how they beat the best kind of thing, right? Yeah, I, I remember at some point there was like a 1K money draft that was like, I think might have even got coverage. That's how different Magic was. Like, I can't remember if it was coverage from Watsi or coverage from like, brain burst or whatever one of the writing side but it was like a big thing it was like three americans against three europeans for a thousand dollars per team and it was like a big you know a big deal i think you you win i can't remember who else maybe Bob Mara was on the team but um yeah money draft is very similar to to how poker is um have you seen rounders like the movie oh of course yeah yeah so i think everybody who played was like poker was a lot of people were playing poker while they were on the pt and like a lot of Americans were starting to, and a lot of people watch rounders, including the see if like all, all my friends and stuff like that. And everybody was like, this is awesome. I want to be Matt Damon. Like I want to be the guy who, you know, takes the shot is the hero and, you know, plays goes to Vegas with all the money and goes to play tournaments and all that stuff is on ESPN. I watched rounders and, you know, I grew up poor, really broke, and I never wanted to get that feeling again of being broke and not having mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. I watched rounders and I was like, I want to be John Turturro. I want to be Kanish. Like I want to be the guy yeah. who's like grinding on his letter ass and right. 
plays catch. Like, I don't, I just never wanted to be broke again in my life. That was like yeah. a big, so I was like, if I can sit and play cash games and I don't care if I never, like nobody ever knows who I am. Never, nobody ever sees me on TV. I just want to, you know, make a good living and, you know, be a place where like a big goal of mine was buying a house for me and my wife. And I basically played poker like all the time, grinded mm-hmm. as much as I could until mm-hmm. I could, you know, obtain that goal. And yeah, like there's a part of me that thinks like, you know, I have friends who did go to play tournaments and did really well, but I also have friends who did that and went broke and had to file for bankruptcy. Like the, a lot of it is survivorship bias in the poker world and in, in magic also. Right. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think people like tend to sweep down under the, the carpet a lot, but I just, you know, I, I just wanted to be comfortable and, and have, you know, I applied myself to like a, going back to the school thing. I had no problem studying for poker. I read everything I could. I watched every training video that I could while I was grinding and I just tried to, you know, take the game seriously. And, and I played live for the most part. I didn't, you know, I played online when I learned and everything and Gabe, that's how Gabe, Gabe Tang taught me. It was from watching him play online and things like that. But yeah, I just always, for me, it was always about the money. Like I didn't really love poker the way I love playing magic. Right. Right. It's uh it's the grind, right? The poker part. And that's how you got into it. And you wanted to yeah. just make a, a steady living, not, not like flame out in spectacular fashion, like not try to be a billionaire, but like, just, just try to make a living. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I can, I can, I can definitely, I don't need to ask you about like why you decided to get into poker because that's really what it was, right? Like you said, like you could be a top 1000 magic player, but you're not making as much money as being a top you know, 100,000 poker player or something like that. Yeah. So I I also want to explore a little bit about your relationship with uh, Gabe Sang, because uh, from what I know, you two are pretty good friends, even, even today. And uh, you guys went through a lot together, right? And you only told one part of the story, which is like, you came out of retirement to do the, the team uh, PT, but there's obviously a lot more to that. You had just touched on him, you know, kind of showing the ropes for, for poker, but like, how did you guys meet initially? And uh, maybe, maybe describe your friendship and relationship a little bit. So it's, it's kind of weird. Like when I was growing up and going up to the store, I remember one of my favorite days was when they would get the paper version of uh, the sideboard, which, which would be like the, they would have like the articles of like whatever the latest thing that was wanted to promote, but they also had the reports of the tournaments and things like that. And there was like a Canadian version of, it was like a paper version of Cyber, which had like some, you know, they had all the same articles, but also had like some stuff about Canadian tournaments and who, you know, if a Canadian did well, they would be on the cover. So Gabe was on the cover of paper sideboards a lot because in the, you know, mid to late 90s, he was doing well. Like he copied a couple pros orders. So when I was like 14, 15, I would see him on the cover and I was like, you know, looking up to him. I've never met him, mm-hmm. but like, this is, this is who I, I want to be. This is who I want to meet. Sure. Uh, first time I met him, I was at I, Canadian nationals. I was 15 and we're on the same Rochester pod. So we're drafting face up and it's him. Um, Ryan Fuller's on the table. Who's a known Canadian pro who got banned for cheating at some point. So there was a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're drafting and up to this point, so this is how like Quebec people had no idea of what was going on. We always assumed for some reason that Canadian nationals, because it was always the same people who made the team, the goal that we assumed that these people all tested together and worked together, 
to form this super team to represent Canada. That was like our idea, right? And we're drafting the, the Rochester draft and it gets to the end of the pack and Ryan Fuller is next to Gabe and Gabe opens his pack, opens like a really good card for Ryan and he hate, hate drafts it. And Ryan is like, what is going on? Or the, the person next to him opens a pack and Gabe hates it. The next pack he opens and he does the same thing. He hates a card again. And then the draft finish in my mind is kind of blown, like what's going on? And me and Gabe are talking. He comes over to me at some point and he starts talking to me because I'm, I don't know, I'm 15. And he's like, you know, I was like, I don't really know you, but like, I, I thought you drafted the second best deck at the table. And I'm just like, kind of like in awe, like my, my, I'm 15. My mouth is like wet open. I'm just like, I don't really know how to answer. I'm like, thanks. Like that's, you know, that means a lot. Like I'm sure. I mean, you look up to him, yeah. you, but I've looked up to you, you know, since I was playing competitive and we just started talking. I would see him at PTQs. Like he would be qualifying. I'd, I'd go with friends to play a PTQ in, in Toronto and you would be hanging around. And I don't know. I, we just started getting closer and closer here and there. And then um, I remember I tested a lot for a GP in Cleveland that was going to be in Cleveland. It was block constructed. And I tested with John Stern. That was the first time I, I really tested with John and I had never seen anything like him. Like John is not the person that I would say is naturally talented at magic, but he like, but he works super hard. Yeah. He works super hard. He's really dedicated. I think a lot of times in his, in his time on the PT, he got frustrated because other people weren't as dedicated or ad, as, focused because other people don't have to be as focused like people are naturally talented i don't want to you know shine any any no no it's not i'm sure john would say the same thing because i talked to john a little bit before uh before the interview here so yeah so i'd never seen anybody like him like he took notes of every matchup we would sideboard we he would take notes of everything that happened so we this is for a gp back in the day like we just went didn't have that many gps in driving distance so we tested like crazy and we came up with a list that was really good for the meta and we were really happy with and we show up to cleveland and gabe is there but this is i think you know a lot of times gabe would just drive people to gp and like not play he would just be like i have a car i like to hang out you know at events and i don't really care if i play or not so he just showed up to the gp with no cards he had never played the format and he just wanted to hang out and i'm just talking with him the day before i'm like i think our deck is really good like it's not even that complicated like you should just like like we worked really hard on this, just take this list and, you know, just try and play. And he's like, I don't know. I've never played. I'm like, just, just try whatever. I, I'm telling you, I think we like our deck is really, really good. And he, he's like, okay, sure. So he plays the event. He like learns during his buys. Cause he had, he had buys. And, um, and I, I think I missed out on top eight Stern made top 32 and Gabe gets second place. Like he just like the deck was good. And Gabe's just really, really good at magic. And he didn't really like, he's one of those people that doesn't need all the reps and he's just like really talented. And um, we just got closer and closer. Like every time we interacted, there's a, a moment after that GP, but before I got second at a team, my, like my team PT where I basically stayed on Gabe's couch for like six or eight months or something like that. And just, you know, he never charged me anything. I think there's a moment where like, I must've owed him like a thousand dollars from just going to eat or drafting for, you know, just everything. You would just be like, whatever, you'll, you'll pay me at some point. It's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And I don't know. It's just like, again, this is magic. It's not, you know, it's not basketball. It's not somebody who makes a million dollars, but to me, to the game, it was like when these moments were like, you know, they say like, don't meet your heroes. 
like Gabe was my hero growing up playing competitive magic. And he's, you know, I think he's a super nice guy and my life would have been different if I didn't met him for sure. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, both, both Gabe and John Stern, you know, said that you, one thing that really, this is kind of breaking the fourth wall for interviews, but when I talked to them about you, they, they, they were like, you know, the one thing that really stood out with, uh, actually it was two things that stood out about you to them. Like they said, David is, um, I think Gabe actually described for me, like the first time that, uh, he saw you or met you or something like you were the 15 year old kid or something. And he said he could tell right away. Cause he, cause Gabe is, uh, obviously a good magic player. He also said he's a, he's a good evaluator of talent. And he said that the first time he saw you play, he knew that you were going to achieve some things in magic just because of the way that you carried yourself and the way that you prepared and just, just kind of like your mental game. He could kind of tell that you were, you were cut out for it. So that, that was, that was one thing actually Gabe said that, but John said that as well. And then both of them said that you were like very generous, just like in terms of like lending gave the deck like he said that you just went around and built the deck for him like you literally got all the cards for the deck for him so like he didn't have to do anything he just showed up and he could play the deck uh which is very very nice of you and the other thing that john said which ties to uh the community aspect too is that he also said that the the quebec or montreal uh, scene was like uh i don't want to say xenophobic but maybe like insular so it's like people would be like Hey, um, you know, we're the French speakers, so we got to like group together. And you were obviously one of the French speakers, but you were very welcoming to John when he, when he stepped into the scene initially. So he was even to this day, like he, he remembers that, uh, a great deal, just how like you kind of went out of your way to make him feel welcome. So I just wanted to relay that to you because there's no easy way to like relay this in a question, but like, I just wanted you to know that, uh, those kind of impressions they still remember about you to this day. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously it, it, it's nice to, to hear nice things being said about, about me. Um, I do remember John coming around, um, you know, the, he showed up to draft one day and like, I can't remember if he beat me or if he, it was like a close match, but I just, I don't know. Something like, I, it is true that like to what I'm saying, like that the xenophobia was definitely a thing where like French speakers would have an issue with people who speak, only spoke English in Montreal. And again, this was 20 something years ago, mm -hmm. but like, I don't know, for me, it was always like, I don't really care if you'd like magic and you're passionate about it. If I think like, and this is like a bad thing about me when I was younger, which I, I'm, I'm not like this anymore, but um, I did equate a lot to like, if I think you're good at magic, I'm going to be interested in talking to you. But I, I did have an issue with people who were not good. Like, I was young. I was really competitive and that's just kind of how I, I looked at the game. Um, but yeah, I just saw John and I was like, this guy's good and I don't really care about anything else. I want him to be included with us because I just want to be surrounded with people who are good and who are passionate about the game. So I, yeah, I, I, I learned a lot from John too. And um, we're still friends to this day. And for, for a while, while I quit, I didn't, I wasn't as close as, as I wanted to, but I always stayed really close with Gabe and everything, but, and it's the same way. Like now that I work, you know, that I manage in an LG, a big LGS, I, I don't care about anything. Like I want the place to be a safe space for everyone. And I want like, 
I want, like our, our staff is really diverse and all I care about is, you know, I don't make all the decisions, all the hiring decisions or anything, but I, I just care if like you're passionate and you're good at what you do, like you, you have a, a place here. And it's the same way if, if you're a player and you come to our store and, you know, you're not inclusive and you're not, you know, you're not respectful of, of other people, then, then you don't have, you don't have to be here. Like, I just don't see any other ways basically. Yeah. The other thing that stood out to me just in talking to you and uh, with others about you is just that you have a, a good, like, maybe this is from your, your time with Danny or maybe when you were younger, but like you have a strong sense of justice. I don't know if there's a better way to put this, but I, I have heard about like, you know, you like if you feel that somebody has been wronged, like you will go out of your way to try to address that, even if it didn't happen to you, because like I, I was just thinking about some we don't have to say who it is, but there was a random story about somebody who was denied, like uh, who made a deal with somebody at a PT to get a price split. And you just like were very upset that that wasn't honored. And then you kind of came out and and said stuff. So it's like you have a strong sense of what you believe is uh is 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 right and wrong and you you try to you try to maintain that i'm wondering like do you first of all do you agree with that assessment and secondly if you do agree like where do you think that comes from that that sense i i mean i I, i'm not gonna say i disagree there's times where i am not as vocal as i especially when i was younger where i was like i wasn't as vocal as i should have been and I, i look back on that like this this story again i'm not gonna say who but this story um it's something i could have you know, I was somebody in magic at that time. I could have made a big deal out of this thing, but it, you know, I brought it up now and it's been resolved. Everybody's happy with the result and, and that that's the end of it. But it's just in general, like, I feel like if, um, you know, I'm half Indian, but I'm pretty white passing in general. And I think that if, if you can, if you're in a position to help people that, you know, don't have always have the way to, to defend themselves or it's, I don't know the best way to, to phrase it, but it kind of feels like I should be, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not out on the street protesting all the time and everything, but I feel like if I, I can make an impact in, in some ways here and there, I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Um, I know like last year with the store, we did like um, this thing called <clears throat> cards for change where like we, you know, I got a, a few stores together and we're going to do that again in a, in a couple months. Uh, some of the major stores in Canada get together and we give a percentage of our, our sales to, uh, to some causes. And I don't know, I just feel like if, if you're in a position to, to help others and, and defend people who, who maybe like it, it would put them in a bad situation if, if they try to do it or they don't have the, you know, the, the power to, to fight some of these things, then I don't know. I think you should, you should try to help. Let's switch gears a little bit because, uh, I know you got into poker. Are you okay to talk about this? I don't know. Like, how did you meet your wife? Like, cause I heard you guys met somehow when you were, you were grinding poker, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I have no problem talking about it. Um, so I met my wife when I was uh, playing in a casino in, in Ontario and she was playing, we were playing the same, we were playing like 10, 20 limit hold'em. Um, and I don't know. I just, we just kind of started as friends and hang, hung out more and more. And we were on the same table a lot. And we just started dating and I don't know. I, we just, it was, it's hard to, I mean, back in the day, there was, wasn't that many like women that played poker. So it was kind of hard to find somebody who could understand 
the lifestyle that I was like trying to, to live basically. So she understood it. And um, she just like, she just played for fun. She just played like, you know, like casually and everything. And as we started dating, I was like, you're really bad. Like no disrespect, but you're really bad at poker. <laughs> just call me and, as I see it. Right. Yeah. It, I'm very blunt in general. I to, to, to many, you know, to my, it's not always been a good thing, but yeah, I, I was like, you're really bad. And you know, I really care about you. So you, you know, as we got closer and we moved in together and everything, I was like, you basically have two choice. You can either, um, I can teach you, I will spend as much time as you want and we can both play for a living and you can take this seriously and I will do everything I can to help you get better. Or you can just, you know, play once in a while for fun, but you can't just keep going to the casino and losing money all the time and playing all the time. And she was like, yeah, I don't really want to learn to play that much. I'll just, you know, go once in a while with you and hang out. But for the most part, she just mostly stopped playing. She, she actually, uh, works in the casino industry now. So she's been working for like a decade and she's like a supervisor in, in casinos and stuff. So she's still around, you know, that world, but yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is that uh, you're Phil Locke and she's Jennifer Tilly. I guess, but isn't Jennifer Tilly like Uber? I'm just kidding. Like, yeah, she's, she, but she was not as good back then. I'm just saying like, yeah. then she applied yeah. herself and now she's like yeah, I don't probably even, crushing I mean, it. Yeah. I don't follow poker enough these days to know who's good and who's I, I don't good. know either like probably my information is outdated it's probably like from 10 years ago but uh, <laughs> exactly. yeah the, the other thing that is kind of cool is uh so by the way that's a great story because uh it's it's rare that like if you're a poker player like someone understands what you're going through and like to have someone who's in that same spear i want to say like that probably goes a long way yeah the other thing i want to i want to ask about is like you are known as a very strong limited hold'em player, right? Limit hold'em player. So, yeah. uh, well, how did you decide to like specialize in that? Or I don't know. I, I maybe I'm generalizing by saying specialize, but like, how did you focus on that game and as opposed to like maybe some of the other formats? No, that's 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 exactly what it is. Like, I was a so it, it wasn't like I chose to be a limit hold'em grinder. Um, it's more like before the poker boom, limit hold'em was a bigger game than no limit. So that's what most people played in cash games. No Limit was mostly reserved for tournaments and World Series of Poker and things like that. I'm sure, I'm sure there was cash games around, but it was mostly Limit. Like if you look at some of the big Magic players who turned to poker, they, they mostly played Limit early on. So like Nassif's really good. He made a few final tables in Limit, Hold'em tournaments. Uh, Brock Parker was like a Limit Hold'em grander before he turned to tournaments. Right. So it was kind of like what we started as. And then... Um, I just kind of never evolved from there. I just, I, I got better and better. And around Ontario, there's these, um, these laws that I, I don't, I can't remember if they're still around. I think they got lifted a few years ago, but that basically said you couldn't bet more than a hundred dollars on any street. So uh, what that did is even when the poker boom happened and everybody switched to no limit, Ontario kind of stayed in this like time capsule and just kept playing limit hold'em. So it got to a point in my life when I was, grinding limit and i knew no limit was taking over like i could see it but if if i have like a regret in my poker career or in my life is i could see it coming and i was in this spot where i was making a lot of money and i was very comfortable and i was very good at limit hold'em um you know i'm not one of the best in the world but i was i was doing very well and i would have had to like change uh to no limit and basically accept to make a lot less money for you know, a couple of years while I transitioned um, 
which, you know, I should have done, but looking back, you know, I just kind of stayed in my safe space and just kept grinding limit. And I see this, a lot of the same in magic nowadays where like every year I would see the same people around me playing the games. Like I'm, I'm talking like I'm playing the biggest games in Ontario for limit hole. Like we're playing like 5,100, 100, 200. And like the game's getting older every year. There's no new, like all the new players that come in all go straight to no limit. So like, I'm basically like the people that are playing my games that are recreational players, or this is a bad thing to say, but are eventually going to die or just not, you know, retire or just not okay. want to play the game okay. anymore. Sorry. It's, just, I'm, it's very dark, but it's the way I look at. And my comparing it to magic is I think at some point wizards kind of decided that it wasn't worth it to try to recruit young players or have a, an easy way for that's that's the way i view it is when i came up there was jss there was so there's a parallel there yeah. yeah yeah and like they tried really hard to make it accessible for tournament players for young tournament players to come into the game and i see like there's a lot more money in magic there's a lot more players a lot of them go to commander i don't see the same dedication to like they used to have a rookie of the year which would i think would get a pt invite or a free flight like there, there's all these things that used to incentivize young players to playing competitive which i don't see nowadays which i think is, is sad because like i grew up really poor and without um amateur pricing like even before i made top eight i got amateur pricing and another gp without these things to like help like getting on the pt should be hard like it mm-hmm. should be something that's incredibly rewarding when you get there but it shouldn't feel impossible which like i look at some of the young players now i look i, I hope i don't butcher your name but like People like Henry uh, Middlesing, I found him on Twitter, Felix Slew, like some of the young players who are, you know, below 18, who really don't have a path to, you know, who who are really dedicated to the game, love the game, but just don't have a way to get there. Like uh, Milan, who's like, I think 15 now or something, he, right. went to he was 13. And I wish they did, they made more of an effort for that. Um, again, like, we, again, I, I run events at the store. And we run a 1K, what we did before the pandemic every Saturday. And it was like, I, I started this thing where if you're under 18, you get 25% off. Like it should be hard to to do well in tournaments, but it shouldn't be impossible. So I wish Wizards had like something similar where like, I don't know, like your first GP in a season, like every four months, you know, is half price if you're under 18 or something, like something to help, you know, young players get there basically. Because the, the, it, it's good to see the same names on top of the pro tour it's good for wizards mm-hmm. but i feel like we're that's not gonna last forever yeah yeah and like this scg tour i'd like all the young players were playing the scg tour because they were you know it's a good way for them to be supported and like i look at somebody like edgar magohez which like a few years ago was in my opinion with him and hayne were the two best canadian players mm-hmm. and he stopped trying to qualify for the pt Right. when he was on the train and he switched completely to SCG and he won like the SCG Invitational just because like there just wasn't a path for, for him basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And w- where are the incentives too? Like that's, that's the thing, right? People yeah. are, are driven by that. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's scary to think about it because like all these things like GSS and uh, you know, incentives for younger players, it's important because like if you use sports as analogy, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, these players are not there forever how do you get these generational players or stars? Like you have to develop them. There has to be a feeder system for lack of a better term, like to, to get people in there. And it just seems like right now 
not to mention like if you're a kid like there's so many options other than magic for entertainment like how are you gonna it's not like when we grew up like there's just there's only like a few games in town right if you want to do face-to-face stuff but now it's just like incredible it's exponentially yeah. grown so how do you how do you hook people in that's that's a challenge right yeah for sure at some point you stopped grinding poker you had alluded to that and you recently got back into magic somehow or you got back into magic a little bit and then got into LGS, the lgs world like tell me a bit about that yeah so i was it's kind of, i was playing poker and i literally from the casino i it was like laundry day i was wearing one of my old pt shirts and i just like middle of the night two in the morning i went to subway um across the street and the guy making my sandwich is like hey that's a pt shirt we're in a small town in brantford ontario and i'm like uh yeah he's like yeah there did you know there's a there's an lgs there's a store in town that you know has magic i'm like i, I haven't played in like 10 years i quit for like over 10 years and this is like 2017 or something Ixalan. And I'm, I'm just like, he's like, yeah, you should come check it out at some point. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go back to playing poker. And then like the next week, I'm like, okay, let me go check it out. So I go, I sit down at FNM and this is like the worst example of an LGS. Like this is exactly what everything Wizards doesn't want, right? It's like a dingy kind of nasty place. The store owner is just, a you know, making rulings to favor his regulars. It's just like the worst kind of place. And I just kind of started seeking out um, like a nicer place to play and started playing around, around town. And I just like, I'm, I'm older now. I've, you know, I've, I've married, I have a kid. Um, like my goals are different. I'm still competitive, but like, I basically decided to come back and, um, set myself a goal of, I'm going to try to qualify for one PT a year. I'm not going to hit it every year. Um, and I kind of have like this, this view that I've seen it from both sides. Games evolved a lot. It's changed so much, but like now I see myself as like a casual PTQ player, right? So like I know what it takes to be at the top level. I know what it takes to be one of the best players in the world. It's not somewhere where I am in my life. And I think that, like, not to criticize them too much, but like I think the the MPL kind of lost that. They lost the PTQ players a lot. The focus, um, I think that they tried, you know, they tried things. There's nothing wrong with trying things, but I think they tried to cater to the the top of the, the esports world and, and where I think Wizards should be focusing like on the PTQ players. Like maybe it's me being biased of what my life is now, but I always feel like the Pro Tour was bigger than, than the names that were on the Pro Tour. So like, I always felt like the appeal was to get on the PT to, you know, do all day. You'd see the names and you'd see people and some people in Montreal would be like, impressed to see me when I was doing well on the PT, but I always think that draw has always been the PT. And I think they kind of lost that. It's about uh, more than, no, I agree with that. It's about more than the individual. There's a prestige to the pro tour and the hall of fame. That's like, and also having a, a path that people feel like they understand that path to the PT. Like, like you said, it's a hard path, but it's like the path is there, right? Yeah. Uh, you have to beat the best of the best. Whereas now it, uh, or before they disbanded it, it seemed to be more about like stars. But then I think people have to understand too that Magic was never really about the stars. Like the game is just not the kind of per- game where you like you have a talking head and just like they they talk and they're entertaining. Like maybe back in the day, there were like people like Easy uh, and folks you mentioned that were like more heels and entertaining. But now everything's also like kind of like sanitized so it's also not that interesting it's not it's like it's not wrestling so yeah yeah i mean i I think it was 
kind of always like that there's the characters nowadays too it's just everything is more a little more tame yeah. but yeah so i came back to magic and um me i roped gabe tang into coming back to play a little bit and, and it sounds like you you guys were like disillusioning like almost right away basically <laughs> yeah i think i think gabe like i was still playing poker full-time at that at that time uh but gabe wasn't so like gabe's a lot more he'll find one thing and really focus on that one thing and try to be the best in the, you know, the best he can at that. And I've always like admired that, but it admired that about him, but it also makes him like very single-minded on one thing um, where like, I'm a little bit different. I, I can do like multiple things and I'm okay if I'm, I'm more casual at different things. So I, and then we basically came back and Gabe got us uh, sponsored by Harry T to like represent them at events and things like that i met the owner and uh, one of our f- mutual friend worked worked there and he's the one that suggested it and i just kind of started hanging out at harry t a little bit run, playing events and at some point i don't remember what, how it came out about but i was like we're getting credit for store credit for you know representing your store and like you never have good cards in stock your you, your cards are always overpriced so like the cards you have are overpriced like nothing makes sense you know what i mean and i was like I'm pretty sure I could, you know, help fix whatever is going on here and like help the magic part of it get better. And I was like, I basically was like, I'll, I'll take over the, the magic section if you want. And if you pay me like this amount of money, which is like, I'm not going to go in details, but it was like a, a significant pick up from what I was playing, making playing poker. But I was like, I'm kind of interested in this. And if, um, if I like what, if I, my plan was basically, if I like it, I'll just um, maybe open an LGS of my own after I get it, some experience and everything. And I was kind of hating poker at that point. Like I, I did it for like over a decade and, you know, I'm still making money, but I'm really not enjoying myself. Like, I guess like mental health takes a toll on you eventually. And I just wasn't enjoying myself. Um, and I told my wife, like, you know, it's going to be a pay cut, but I, maybe I'll open my own store and, or something. And I just kind of started working there and, really enjoyed the people I worked with. And I just, I guess it's not really competitive, but it's more like I enjoyed the aspect of watching something grow and get better. And I feel like that's what we're doing. And I really like the people that are around me now. And I no longer like feel like I want to open my own store at this time. I'm more like, I'm happy here and I want to grow this. And I, I've always been good at being part of a team. That's why I did well in magic and in team things and on things like on this podcast you're going to get a lot of people who are really driven who get to the top like that's how that's how they get on your podcast in general is people who are really driven who get to the top and who are really good leaders and you know who want to be the best at anything in the world who want to be the guy or the person right and I've never really felt that way like people ask me like oh like you don't you want to have your own store or something and I've I've never been I've never wanted to be the guy. And the, at some point in my life, I kind of realized I want to be the guy that the person depends on. Like, I don't know. I just, that's just like, whether it's in the team PT or in anything else, like I, and it, it could easily be a flaw on my part, but it's just always been like, I've always done better in team also because I never wanted to let other people down. Like I always tested way harder in team events than I did for constructed events for individual events where like I'm the same when I'm working for the store. Like, I'm just like, 
I want to work incredibly hard to be the best version of me I can be. And I, I expect a lot of myself, but I expect a lot of others also, which at times like is frustrating for others and for myself. It's unfair sometimes what it, what I expect of people. I think that's a, that's an honest assessment. Like, first of all, like you're not, you don't like to half-ass anything because like, if you're in that situation, you might as well do your best, whatever that best is right now, obviously, as you said, it may have, um, you may have expectations of other people that don't match what they want out of themselves. So that, that can always be a challenge. I have a similar, I have a similar issue, I would say, in, in how I look at the world and, and work and, and, and things like that. Um, but, uh, but I think you're really honest with yourself just in terms of like, this is who I am. And, you know, you're not trying to be somebody that, that you're not. And it's true. Some people are more driven by like, for lack of a better term, ego, like they're more driven by like, I want to be known as the guy for this. I want to be known as like a dominant person in X and Y and it, it, not everybody's wired like that. Right. And I think I, I'm, 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 I'm saying this in a good way because like, I think you and I have those have those maybe some similar qualities for that. So I think at a certain age, you're like just knowing who you are is like the most important thing and not trying to lie to yourself about like why, why your motivations for, for doing something. Right. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think everybody should be like the best in the world at something, but I think, I always believe that like there's a best version of yourself at whatever you're doing, like take pride in what you do. And if, if you just, you know, were you not seeing this particular work as like your career or something long-term, I completely understand that. But like whatever you do decide to do eventually, like you should take pride in what you do and try to be the best version of yourself. That's, that's how I approach, uh, you know, everything I've done in my life. Basically, I've basically been my own boss my whole life um, until I started working in LGS basically. Yeah. I mean, whether it's like driving a truck or having a corporate job or anything, I, I think, I think it's like, you should take pride in what you're doing. And if you're impacting others in a positive way, uh, or bring sounds lofty, but like, if you can bring happiness to other people in some way, I think that's a, that's a win. Right. So, yeah, uh, sure. yeah. Um, okay. So I want to just, can we do a rapid fire round? These are questions that may not be related to each other, but just want to, just want to like quickly ask David about these things. Okay. Okay. So best sushi place in Vegas and why? Um, so uh, Kabuto, that's, that's the place that I've gone over is and it, over. Which, uh, which, which uh, resort or casino is it in? Or is it's it not a, a resort. It's like a local place. Um, it's like in a strip mall. It's not that far from, from, from the strip, like the main street of Vegas. Like I'm not, a local, I don't know all this special spot and everything, but this is the play that I've gone to over and over again that I really like. Excellent. What's your favorite style of hot pot? Um, so Shanghai, I think it, but it's like, um, my wife knows better the, the place to go, but, um, I think in North America, it's called like, um, Mongolian hot pot. It's but got the, I'm, uh, it's got like the, the roof thing with the, the lid at the top. Yeah. Is that what it is. Yeah, and it's like I think it's like clear broth. I guess it's um, it's it's a different base than a lot of the hot pots, I guess. But it's it's got a lot of like different. It's not as spicy as others, I guess. Like I'm still a a white guy, and I still you know, <laughs> or as you said, white passing guy with Indian. Yeah, eggs. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, 
Okay. Uh, what's your favorite, uh, NBA basketball team? So the Raptors, like, um, when I started growing up, I've, I've always been like a fan of the NBA in general. I so I, I appreciated players more than like a specific team for a long time. And then, um, Toronto got a team when I was, I don't know, like in my teens and it's the, you know, it's Canada's team and I'm not like a hardcore, hardcore, like Raptors fan, but I, that's my team. And I went to see it, you know, a few times a year when I could, when I was, uh, playing poker a lot. Um, but yeah, Raptors. How do you see the Canadian magic community today? Like what has changed over the, the decades, uh, would, would the Quebec or Montreal scene be described similarly today as it was in the past? No, I, I think, I think the internet's changed a lot. Like it was already starting to, when I was getting good at magic, um, I don't think people are as close-minded about English speaking people as they used to be. Um, I also think like a lot of people in Quebec have had, have had success after me, right? Like I quit basically after I, we won the PT, but um, after me, like Hain won a PT and Pascal was really good for, for a long time. Stern was also really good after me for a long time. Um, I mean, I, I think Hain is easily the best Canadian player of all time. Right. And he's, he's from Montreal. Um, I think the internet and people like KYT brought people together while I wasn't playing. Right. And I think people like these communities rally around these pillars and people who help bring people together. Um, I don't know who, you know, how good Montreal is in general because I'm, I'm not around there anymore. Um, but I know it, it feels like people work much more together throughout Canada than, than they used to back when I was playing basically. Who are some, uh, current players either up and coming or have already made it that you'd like to shout out that from Canada, just the whole nation doesn't have to be from one province. Um, from Canada. So I don't know if they're still considered up and coming because they've had some, some success, but I think some people were like really underrated or like younger, like Isaac Crute, who is, you know, almost made the, he was really close to getting into rivals. Uh, he won a GP last year is a good friend of mine and somebody I've, I've been astounded at how good he is. Like he's one of the best from uh, Eastern Canada. He's so he's originally from Russia. He came here for school. Um, so he's been living in Toronto for a few years. And as soon as I saw him play, I was like, this kid is incredible. And I have to, he was like on the small team that we had, Team Harry T. Um, I, like they have these opens, the the arena opens. I think he's cashed almost all of them. Like I, more than half that he's played. Um, yeah, he won a GP last year. So he's, he's maybe not super up and coming, but he's not really that well known, I guess, outside mm -hmm. of, people who really follow it. Um, Omar Belden is another player that I think not enough people know about. He's like a really good deck builder. He's been around for a while, but he's, he's had some success on SCG and things like that, but just really good at deck building and constantly like comes up with strategies that, that blow my mind all the time. Um, Aria, I, I want to, I don't want to butcher her name, but Kamburachi uh, or something like that. She's hodgepodge 98 on, on Twitter um and yeah she she's originally from india i believe and she was in toronto for a while uh last couple of years and now i think she's somewhere in the u.s i'm not sure exactly but she streams and everything and yeah she was drafting with us for a while when gabe was playing a lot last couple of years before the pandemic and 
yeah, she's really good, I think. And, and I think she won the VML a couple of times qualified for PTs that way, but yeah, she's, she's getting better and better. Like, I think she was already good last last couple of years. And now like, I'm not playing as much magic, but I can see that she's really putting up finishes and, and, you know, doing well. Yeah. Those are some of the game players that I think are maybe not as well known and, and trying to make it right. Those players are from uh, Ontario or from the East Coast, right? Like, what about yeah. on the on the West Coast? Is there anybody there? Or I I don't know West Coast players uh, that much. Like, I I talked to to Jonathan Zhang a little bit, and he was he was doing his thing and and coming up for a while. I think he won an SCG, but I don't really know the West Coast players that much because I don't interact with them. Um, this is not up and coming or like sure. Yeah, magic or anything, but like, uh, what's his name? Has been doing coverage. Manny, Rudy. I know he's been around forever, but like, yeah. he's incredible at coverage. Like, I'm every time I tune in and I watch, he's he's getting better and better, and I'm really impressed with how good he is at, at doing coverage. It's not exactly what you asked, but oh um, no, he's a he's a very good player too. His knowledge yeah. of the game obviously is there. So yeah, but yeah, his his, his commentary is top notch for somebody who, as far as I know, is fairly new to it. Right in the last year year and a half or something yeah he's a long-time player but fairly new to commentary that's for sure if you were magic op like how would you uh how would you change magic how would you evolve like pt is it the the organized play is it like going back to the old pts or is it something else yeah uh, it's a big question um i i think i would have a lot less like gps than they were having for a while um i think they should be like more gp vegas type events um instead of trying to i know it's like about reaching people in different areas but i think they should pick some central locations and make it like rent nicer venues and have maybe one gp a month basically that is like magic fest slash like command fest like just have like a big thing out of it instead of having two GPs at the same time in different cities and one in Europe, one in, you know what I mean? Like, I think if you make these like more of a convention than a tournament and the tournament is just a part of a small part of it, but it's something that people circle on their calendar to fly. I think in general, the whole like pros or PT aspiring people flying weekend after weekend, like nobody enjoys that. Like I, I, at least I don't think they do. Like, I don't think the pros enjoy it. I don't think, it's such a grind on PTQ players. I don't think that's really the way to go about it. And I think like a lot of it should be like at the local level, like your local, you know, the nice stores and everything in the area get PTQs. And yeah, I don't think you have to go all the way back to the PT the way it was, but I think the, like they're eliminating, like they're eliminating the, a lot of the appearance fees and everything. Like I think the PTs should pay a lot of money but there shouldn't be like that much of it that's like already allocated to a certain amount of people like i think it should be like all up in the price pool and yeah you have ways to chain invites but if you don't do well in tournaments then you don't get money that's how i feel. like maybe it's very cutthroat and it's really rough to make it as like a professional player but i think if there's money and ways for people to qualify and over and over again there's people who are gonna you know try to make it as as a living and whether they're right or, or wrong like maybe they shouldn't do it people are still going to try it and do it right um i think a lot of, for a long time 
when I was playing, the PT tried to sell this false narrative of like the top pros, like you can be at the top and you can make money and be successful and, you know, see the world. The see the world part is true, but like nobody on the PT really made that much money. So they were selling this dream that was paying more money by saying that it was basically a nicer life than it really was. And then the MPL was kind of the opposite where like people were actually made good living, but it was so incredibly hard to get there that no, like people all lost interest. So they basically were kind of lying into how easy it was to make it. Um, but yeah, it was glamorous and people who, who made money, it was a good living. Um, but like, look at how many people joined the MPL from nothing the first year is I think it was Chris Kavartek and maybe like one other person. And Chris had to like basically top eight every event that he played that year. So neither, I think like a lot of time people look back at the OPTs with rose colored glasses too. And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, it was so much better. The old system, just bring back the old system. Like, no, people were complaining. They were making money. Like the mm-hmm. GP were traveling GP to GP weekend after weekend to, uh, to basically break even. So I don't know. I think somewhere in the middle, I just think like at, at the base, whoever's job it is to be head of OP, which is not an easy job. I don't like, I don't envy that person is don't build a system for the pros, build a system for the PTQ players and the people who, you know, are playing your LGS, playing in GPs and trying to, trying to make it. And the, the pros are going to just happen. Like the, if, if, if the system is good, then like the game's going to thrive. That's how I see it. Right. So it's kind of a middle ground between what we had and what we had before. It's not going to be just like copy paste something that we had before. Cause yeah. it's never, it wasn't perfect to begin with. Yeah. I don't think any, and, and my view of it is, yeah, it's kind of harsh and it, it sucks. My view of it is kind of sucks for people who are like at the top of the game now. And I I'll take all the flack that I, that I can get, but that's how I think that the game should be. If you had a time machine, you could go back in time 10 years and meet David Rude from 10 years ago. What would you tell him, the David Rude of 10 years ago? Um, the David Rude of 10 years ago? Take a year or two off of whatever you're doing and, and really master No Limit Hold'em, switch, switch gears. Um, like if you want to keep doing this, because this game's going to pass you by. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'd have, I would have gotten sick of, of poker, even if I was playing the limit and, and making lots of money and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I, I didn't like, I didn't play magic for 10, 12 years. And, you know, people always say like, you always come back. And I did, I came back. That's kind of like the narrative in the game, but like, I didn't think about magic for like a decade. Like it wasn't in my mind. Like we would get together in cube. Uh, Cause Gabe, a lot of people don't notice Gabe Tang created the original cube. Like he's, I'm oh, sure like really? it was an idea. Yeah, it's an idea that I'm sure it was like I've posted this on Twitter before. And people were like, "Well, it's an obvious idea. Somebody's was going to make it." A yeah, cube. but and someone yeah, had to do it first, right? Yeah, that's and someone thing. had to do it first. And him and Elijah, like people in Toronto, were the first ones to do it. So I've played in in the original cube about a lot. Like he gave out like beta duels and Power Nine and everything in in it. So even when we weren't playing Magic, we would get together once in a while in Cube. But um, to, still, as much as I love Limited, Cube's the best format. Like that's my favorite <laughs> format of all time. Um, yeah, but if I can go back 10 years, yeah, I would say like, yeah, learn limited dummy. What are you doing playing this game? That's clearly dying. You can see it. What's the most, what's the best thing that wizards R and D has done since you got back into magic? 
Uh, since I got back into magic, that's a good question. It could be like uh, something as granular as a design mechanic. It could be like just the way they approach designing sets. It could be like how they make cards or how they distribute cards. Like, uh, take your pick. Yeah, there's a couple things. I, I don't want to always be negative on them. I am very negative on them a lot, but um, limited is incredible. Like, it's for all the flag that they get for constructed and for having to ban cards or pink cards being pushed. Limited is like, I played 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I loved Limited. It's, it was my entire life. And in the last few years, Limited has been so much better than it ever was when I was playing. I'm sure in between there was times like in the decade that I wasn't playing, there was times where it was good, but they they rarely miss. These Limited sets have been bangers after bangers. Like it's it's kind of incredible the job they're doing, how good they are at making commons and, and cycles and things like that and having like, um, mana sync and ways to make the game much more like make ways to not be mana screwed or mana flooded as into part of the, the limit experience. Um, so that's one thing. And I don't think they get enough credit for that. I try to post about it a couple of times, but um, so limited is like, yeah, so much better than it used to be. Um, the other thing is I don't think people understand a lot of the infrastructure and the printing and the things that go through, like as somebody who deals with other games other than magic, wizards rarely get stuff delayed or like people complain about the card quality. But like, if you look at other TCGs, it's a complete disaster. A lot of times they don't get enough credit about how all these things work together to get there on time, to be ready to like, I don't know if it was always like that, but I remember back in the day, stuff would get delayed a lot and there would be a lot of issues even with magic but like people understand how much goes into all these things on the back end and how many people work hard to make you know your cards get to your pre-release on time and your promos get there like yeah here and there they'll miss but for the most part they have gotten incredible at, at this stuff right oh yeah i'm sure you see a lot as a as a player as a collector as a store like yeah they 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 really developed this uh robust machine i'll call it yeah. to, to do all this stuff yeah. yeah so david thank you so much for taking the time and sharing with me all your stories and life experiences and random fun facts um where can people find you on on social if you want to be found oh um yeah i don't have much of a following so i appreciate you inviting me on um at drude 519 it was i made twitter before i you know i came back to magic so it was just like my area code but it's yeah at the route 519 and uh yeah thanks for inviting me this is uh this is the one podcast i've always wanted to be on so i really appreciate when you, you invited me on i kind of uh think of it like what's it called inside the actor's studio which i've always liked <laughs> it's always been like a, a format we have the same name like james uh oh, james, yeah? james yeah. and james yeah james Lipton, i've always right? been a big fan so thanks for having me and you, you keep up the good work no, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, I, I honestly, I do this show mostly for myself. It, it's nice that people listen, but it, like you're one of the, the legends of Canadian magic. So I thought it was uh, kind of long overdue, you know? All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans and Magic. To get other episodes or to get details on the Humans and Magic book, please visit humansofmagic.com. That's humansofmagic.com. We have all the past archive episodes. 
You can also find and subscribe to Humans and Magic on SoundCloud, Spotify, and all the places you find podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.